Today our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of John. I'll be reading from the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 31. Again, that is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I now invite you, if able, to stand for the reading of the gospel. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked, For fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any... They are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, His disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Amen. You know, faith is one of those words that, like a lot of other words, is common to us, and we all kind of know what it means, but at the same time, it doesn't mean exactly the same thing to everybody when they talk about it. You know, it's like love or friendship or something like that. We have definitions that are very close, but again, they overlap, and you know, Two people can sort of be having a conversation. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. And they're both talking and they're both using kind of the same words, but their connection is kind of like this. And they just slowly miss the mark just a little bit until one of them finally realizes what they're saying is not actually what the other person is hearing. And in the church, faith is one of those things. I can remember as a teenage boy um, going to a church with some friends, and I was asked the question that is hard for a, a good four-generation Presbyterian boy to answer, but I was asked in front of the entire assembly, when was I saved? And I looked at him, and I said, well, and apparently I, I, I took too long in answering, and at this point I was told that if I didn't know, then I wasn't. 
I did take a little umbrage at this, and I said, well, if you want a date, how about 2,000 years ago? Maybe that first Easter. Can I go with that one? Of course, again, and I've, I've said this many times, when arguing with somebody in a large assembly, and when they have a microphone and you don't, it's best just to shut up. No one hears your side, and you end up, you know, saying something that you may regret. And Of course, my friends had a field day with me at school for the next week. Um, but that reminds me, and I was thinking about that as I was preparing the sermon, what they were saying and what I was hearing. And also, I was a teenage boy, so, you know, I, I kind of had a little chip on my shoulder anyways. So probably not the best discussion to have back then. But as I thought about that, and we talk about faith, and, you know, one of the greatest explanations of of this idea of, of coming into faith that I've ever heard is, you know, sort of the difference between how different people experience it. For some people, it's like they're in a dark room. and They can't see anything. It's, it's so pitch black. And it's like someone came in and flipped on a light switch, and suddenly they could see the world as it truly is. That's that sort of instantaneous lightning strike faith. But for others, it's kind of like if you've ever been out on a camping trip, and it's dark, and slowly the beams of light from the sun, you can't quite see the sun yet, but you suddenly see the world taking shape, and you, you can see a little more, and it's kind of a darkish purple, and it gets a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter, until finally you can see. And it's hard to say exactly when the sunrise was, but you know that it rose. You know that you went from darkness into light. And so... and. <clears throat> I think about those as, one, an explanation of our salvation stories. But also, I started thinking about this when just talking about our faith in general. Because while many of us can point to a specific day, or, or we know, you know, at least you know, in my case, I can tell you when I was baptized, because my parents have a record of it. I don't really remember it. I can tell you when I was confirmed. Again, my parents have the record of it. I, I, I remember more of that. Um, but, you know, I think faith is also one of those things that kind of, over time, waxes and wanes a little bit. And there's certain times in our lives when our faith is much more alive in us, much more real to us. And there's other times when we're still doing the same stuff. We're still sitting in church on a Sunday morning. We're still, you know wearing our cross, reading our Bible, doing all that, but there's some times when it's really a lot more meaningful than other times. And so it's sort of like the ocean, the ebb and the flow, and you know, high tide and low tide. And, and I think the Scripture today, John lays that out for us for the original disciples. Now think about this. These were the, this was the hand-picked team. You know, and I, I always kind of go back to that because you know, sometimes we'll look at some of the things the disciples did, some of the things they said, and we're like, I can't believe these guys. But think about this. These were the ones that Jesus specifically called by name to be his entourage, to be his supporting group, to be who would take the church forward. Of course, minus one. Judas was chosen for a completely different thing, and that's a whole different sermon for a whole different day. But those that were gathered on this Sunday morning, both the apostles and then, of course, 
the rest of the entourage, we have the Marys and the ladies that went to the tomb. And it's kind of interesting because even though they had been with him and seen the miracles and heard his teachings and just, you know, been enthralled with him and even themselves confessed that he was the Messiah. He was the chosen one. He was the anointed one by God. They confessed it with their mouths, but they didn't fully get it. They didn't fully and truly understand all the implications of it because he had laid out for them exactly what was going to happen. And if they had truly gotten it the first time, when Easter, that first Easter morning came, they would not have gone back to the tomb to finish the burial rites. They would not have gone back to the tomb to mourn, but they would have gone back to experience the risen Savior. But none of them did. And they were astonished at different levels. And of course, there are many different stories in John and in the other Gospels when Jesus appears to various folks. And so in the John story, he appeared to Mary. And of course, Mary runs and tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Now this was right after John and Peter had had their little foot race and looked in the tomb and saw that it was empty. And it said that John, or as he's called here, the one whom Jesus loved, said, what happened when he looked in the tomb? He believed. He believed, but he didn't quite, we covered this last night, he didn't quite get it. I mean, he knew something was going on. I don't know if he believed that the Lord was missing. I don't know if he fully understood what that implied. But if you carry through the rest of the story, even after Mary had shown up and said, I've seen the risen Lord, where were they? They were locked in a room hiding. They still couldn't get their minds around this idea of the risen Lord, of the resurrection. They've been told about it. They've been promised it. They had their hopes in it. But yet, they were still shrouded by fear and by what the world tells you about the situation. When someone's crucified, that's usually the end of them. And so, even after being told about the risen Lord, they were still locked in the room. And Jesus appears to them all but one. We know Thomas, not sure what Thomas was doing. But he was not there. And Jesus appears, and of course, they profess the Lord. And of course, when Thomas comes in, and you got to figure Mary was probably a little bit peeved. I'm not sure if this qualifies as the first um, evidence of mansplaining. But she had already told him that I'd seen the risen Lord, and now all the disciples, since they'd actually seen her, him now too, said, yeah, Thomas, we've seen him. And of course, Thomas expressed out loud probably what the disciples themselves were thinking when Mary first told them. He goes, well, I'm not going to believe this until I see him. Until I see the nail marks in his hand, I see the spear wound in his side, until I can actually myself, put eyes on him, I'm having a hard time accepting this. And of course, we call Thomas what? He got to be doubting Thomas. But here's the funny part about that. The very next week, where were they all again? It wasn't just Thomas waiting in the room. They were all still hiding in the room. They had experienced the risen Lord 
They had been told about it. They had seen the empty tomb. The evidence is starting to stack up. They're being reminded of what was promised to them, and yet they're still hiding because this is a big thing. This is something that's really hard to get your mind wrapped around. We believe in miracles, right? We know that even today there are still miracles that happen. However, sometimes when we hear about one, isn't there just a little bit of skepticism that creeps into our mind? Isn't there just a little bit of, if you hear about a faith healer that's, you know, laying hands on people and people that were once confined to wheelchairs now stand up and walk? How many of you would, if that was anywhere near here, say, I want to see this for myself? Or I want somebody reputable to go check that out for me. Now, I know as a pastor, oftentimes when these things come up, people will come and ask me, does that really happen? Could that really be? And I'm like, well, absolutely. We know that it does. But we also know that there's charlatans out there. We know there's trickers. We know there's people out there that profess a faith and use that to prey on those who are struggling with their own faith. And so you can imagine the dilemma the disciples had. They were being told something that their brains just couldn't quite grasp. It couldn't wrap around. Now, we're intelligent, faithful Christians. Amen? And we've read our Bibles, and we know the stories. And so this doesn't really seem that far-fetched for us, does it? But if you're wanting to kind of put yourself in their shoes, think about the first time you had to... uh, deal with, I don't know, algebra or geometry or calculus or some other difficult subject that when they first told you this is how it worked, your brain just went, no, I don't get it. I can't conceive it. That's where they were. But see, that's also kind of, I love the way John catalogs this for us, that he includes this in the story. Because you would think, if you were writing your own story, you make yourself sound a little better. I know that whenever me and my brother had a disagreement and we went to tell mom our version of it, we were both completely innocent in our version. And the other brother, well, you know, you have those two little creatures on your shoulders. Well, we got the one with the halo and they got the one with the pitchfork. But you see... These men just couldn't quite grasp what was being told to them, what they were being expected to believe, and it's understandable. But John goes through it, and Jesus didn't get upset. He simply said, peace be with you. And when they still didn't fully get it, again, he said, peace be with you. And when Thomas missed out on it, he came back and again came in among them and said, peace be with you, and showed him exactly what he wanted to see. He also gave them the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is that conduit by which the knowledge, the information that Jesus had been passing out to them, the lessons that had been taught to them, were then able to be recalled and more be fully understood by them. This is why Jesus said, I must go so that I can send 
the Holy Spirit, the advocate from the Father. That is the reason why the Holy Spirit was sent to us on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was given unto the church was so that we could more fully understand. Now, I don't mean completely. We will never completely understand because if you completely understand, that's just knowledge. And it's not knowledge that we are required to have, but it's faith. And so we have to sort of live in this tension. And I believe that's why John included these stories the way he did for his church, so that they could see the original apostles in tension with what they had been told and how they were able to understand it. And slowly work through that. And we'll see as we go through um, next Sunday, we'll, we'll go into the Gospel of Luke. But as we get to the conclusion of the Gospels, then move into Acts. And finally on Pentecost, when we, we, we have the big, the big time when the church was born, when the flame came down and the wind was blowing and the apostles were all speaking in foreign tongues. And, you know, and they really, at that point, really started getting it, really started preaching it, really started understanding it. At that point, they had been transformed. But even at this point... They are given a breath. They are given a hope. They are given a partial to move forward that they might understand better. And of course, you know, I, I do think it's a little unfair to single Thomas out as the only doubter. I mean, they all had issues at times. But even with that, even with their own Self-doubt, even with Thomas being singled out. John records what Jesus said to him, and I think it's a beautiful statement, but it's sometimes misunderstood. Because sometimes when he says to him, do you believe because you have seen? Blessed are those who will believe who have not seen. Sometimes that almost seems like, so that, does that mean that the people who come afterwards are better than the people that came before? No. He, Jesus is simply pointing towards the fact that down the road, this story isn't going to end with them. This is not going to be a one-and-done generation of Christians, but that there will be others that will be believing, others that will come to knowledge. And they will come to knowledge not because they have seen, but because they have heard, because of the gospel that is being written here, because of the message that is being sent out, because of their words and their actions and the actions of those that they teach. Blessed are those who will then hear this, and come to belief, not because they've seen, but because they've heard it, and the Holy Spirit is in them, allowing it. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Peter is writing to in his letter today. There is a group of Christians that he's writing to, and it says, none of y'all have seen him, but you love him. None of you knew him, but you believe. And because you believe, because of this resurrection story, you will have new and living hope. A hope that is imperishable, a hope that is intractable, a hope that cannot be quashed by the darkness and the things of this world. And that is the promise that we ourselves stand on to this day. We are no more special than the original. Matter of fact, I would say if you got chosen to be in the among the original crew, you might have a leg up. But as for the rest of us, we too were to receive blessings 
And that blessing is that we would hear the resurrection story. And because of the resurrection story, because confessing that he has risen, we too will come to belief. And as we come to this belief, we will be filled with this new joy and this new hope. And as we're filled with this new joy and this new hope, we ourselves will be part of the living community and the body of witnesses. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be, always be perfect in our faith. Oftentimes, there's things that we know or we think, and there's things that we feel. I've done a lot of studies. I've learned a lot about the various passages of the Bible, and that's good to have it up here. But let's face it, where does it count? It counts having it here. And you know what counts even more? Having it here, in our hands and in our feet, in our actions. That we're not just professing a risen Savior, but we are living our lives in the new hope of the risen Savior. And therefore, we are showing Christ to the next generations so that there will be more who will be blessed because even though they have not seen him directly, they have heard and know. Christ the Lord is risen. He is risen for me, and he's risen for you. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I give you thanks and praise again on the second Sunday of Easter as we continue to celebrate the resurrection, as we continue to put our hope in you, as we continue to rely on your Holy Spirit to continue to increase our faith, to grow our faith, to give us that sending mission to go into the world and share with them all the wonders that you have done, all the wonders through Christ Jesus until now. Father God, let us not merely be hearers of the word, but let us be receivers and doers that you might be glorified as we do and say things in your holy and precious name. Amen? Amen.